0: Five-year-old girl, rushed into the kitchen, all excited about the story that she'd heard at school. It was about a beautiful young woman, a princess who'd fallen into a deep sleep. But along came a handsome prince who kissed her, and she suddenly awoke. And do you know what happened next? She asked her mum. Why, yes. They lived happily ever after. Her mum replied. Oh no, that's not right. The girl uh, corrected her mum. They got married. Some people got it. We might laugh at that. Uh, there's, but there is a bit of truth in that. Not that marriage isn't good. I know that my wife has just left so I can say anything I want, but it's not that. Marriage is wonderful. It's a wonderful gift from God. But there is a difference between fantasy and... And reality, isn't that? Many of us grew up on stories of once upon a time, that's how they started and they ended and they all lived happily ever after. But that's not real life in this world. Even those who, those of us who do have an amazing life or a great marriage, we don't live happily ever after. Not even job. During this study of his life, and we're just coming to the end of it this week, during the study of Job's life, we've seen how blessed he was as a man who was blameless and upright in God's sight. Then we saw his life disintegrate as God allowed Satan to take away his wealth and his family and his health. And we heard his heart-wrenching agony as he tried to cope with that loss and the struggle of, why would God let this happen? And we rejected the answers of his friends who tried to blame him for his own suffering. Then finally, last week or two weeks ago, we, we listened as God confronted Job. Revealing his awesome power and wisdom. And bringing Job to renewed sense of repentance and reverence. And this week, we're going to see how God stepped in to bring about a remarkable transformation in Job's life. Again, blessing Job abundantly. But although this was an incredible turnaround in Job's life, this was not Job's happily ever after. It didn't solve all of Job's pain and struggles. But instead it points forward to the ultimate happy ending that comes for all of us who have trusted in the one that Job's life has pointed us to. So we're going to read from Job chapter 42, the last chapter of this book, from verse 7 down to the, the end of the chapter, and Kerry's going to read for us. Thank you,
1: Kerry. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has." So now take these seven bowls and seven rounds, and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer, and not deal with you according to your father. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the tenth night, build out the shoe house, and so far the name of life, did what the Lord told him, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After the Lord prayed for his friends, and the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him all over all his troubles the Lord had brought on him, and each one and gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter, named he named Jemima, the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived hundred years, hundred and forty years. He saw his children and their children to their fourth generation, and then Job died an old man full of years.
0: Thanks Kate. So Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, Job's three friends, they thought they knew, they understood what had been going on in Job's life. In their prosperity theology, God always punishes vice and awards virtue. So since Job was suffering so much, he must have sinned so much. And that's why they criticised and condemned him so harshly. But they were wrong. The Lord said so. The Lord said to Eliphaz in verse 7, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right. God was angry with those miserable comforters. But not so much because they'd upset Job and frustrated Job as they falsely accused him, but because they'd spoken wrongly about God. Yes, they'd said some things that were true, but they'd said a whole lot of things that were not true. They'd misrepresented God. They preached a false gospel. And to do that is a serious thing. The Apostle Paul, he strongly condemned those who preached a false gospel in the church of Galatia. He said this in Galatians chapter 1. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be Eternally condemned. Serious words. Harsh words. Because it's a serious thing to preach something that's not true about God. So if we're speaking about God, we need to be especially careful in what we say. We don't have the right just to say what we think is right. Or what other people might like us to say. We need to be committed to only speaking the truth as revealed in God's Word in the Bible. This is what Paul warned Timothy. He warned Timothy that there would come a time when people would reject the truth and they would just listen to people who just tell them exactly what they want to hear. But he challenged Timothy, but you preach The word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We need to hold on to the truth of what the Bible is saying, especially these days as that truth is under attack from all sides. We need to keep on going back to the Bible because the Bible is the authority of God's truth. So God expressed anger at his three friends because they'd been telling lies about him. But he also expressed approval of Job. Look at verse 7 again. You have not spoken of me, what is right, this is what he says to Eliphaz, as my servant Job. Job. Now, if you've been with us over these, these last few weeks looking at the life of Job, I think you'd be surprised with that just as I am. Because God had challenged Job about some of the things that he'd said. How Job had been tempted in his suffering to discredit God's justice in order to vindicate himself. And after listening to what God said to him, Job agreed with God and he repented of what he had said. He said this, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So Job realized that some of the things he would said was not right. But here God declared his approval of Job. Four times, in fact, in verse 7 and verse 8. God called Job my servant. Just like he had done way back in this first chapter when he said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? So, although in agony and despair, Job had said some things he really shouldn't have, God was willing to vindicate him. To denounce his accusers and to declare his innocence. And that's incredible because that's what Job longed for all along. When Job's friends accused him of doing all these wrong things and causing himself all this suffering, he'd he had denounced them, he'd rejected their accusations. He'd argued for his innocence, he protested his innocence. But Job knew that what mattered in the end wasn't what they said or what he said. What mattered was what God said about him. That's why Job longed to be able to defend himself before God. He said, if only I knew where to find him, I would state my case before him. He wanted to have a face-to-face argument with God. He wanted to defend himself. But here... God gave Job something far better. Job didn't need to defend himself. Because instead God did that. God declared his approval of Job. I know folks, that's what matters the most. If you remember when Jesus was falsely accused, on the night that he was betrayed, He didn't defend himself. He didn't retaliate. Instead, 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew that in God's perfect timing, he would vindicate him. And he was willing to leave it in his hands. And if we've trusted in Jesus, then we can trust that God will do the same for us. God has forgiven our sins. That's the promise of the Gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He has declared us right in His sight. But one day, that hidden reality will be revealed for all to see. That's what John writes in his letter, 1 John chapter 3. Now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And so when we're ridiculed or rejected, when we're criticized or condemned in life, we don't need to panic. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fight. We don't need to retaliate. We don't need to try to defend ourselves or our good name. Instead, we can wait for God's vindication. This is what Paul said in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Which is so important, isn't it? Because we're sometimes we are the harshest critics of ourselves. And he goes on to say, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. One day, we will experience that vindication from the Lord. Not because we deserve it, but because that's the wonderful gift that comes through faith in Christ. So God expressed his approval of Job and his anger towards his friends. But incredibly, he offered these friends grace through Job's mediation. God told told Eliphaz, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. Now, these three friends, they did not deserve forgiveness. They were guilty of speaking wrongly against God. And their theology was one of law. To them, God was a God of justice who always gives people what they deserve. So they believed that God should always punish the wicked. But in their guilt, they weren't given what they deserved. They said they were given grace. Grace that came at a high cost. The cost of the, the, the death of these animals. Now, of course, these animals couldn't pay for their sin. If you remember, when we looked at the book of Hebrews, it says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. An animal dying can never pay for the wrong things that we've done before God. But the sacrifice could bring forgiveness only because it pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice. When Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And this is still the only way that we can experience such incredible grace. As we've remembered at our communion time, Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we can receive the free gift of, of God's salvation. But the incredible thing here is that God told these men to ask for that grace... Through the intercession of Job. Look at verse eight. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. These men had listened unsympathetically to Job as he called out for a mediator. He called out for someone to speak up for him. He said in Job chapter 9, If only there was someone to arbitrate between us. To lay his hand on us both. But now God was being called to step into that role. These men had treated him so shamefully. They've been such miserable comforters to him in his time of deepest need. We would have understood if Job had held a grudge against them. I'm not going to pray for them. Look at what they did to me. But Job had received so much grace from God that he was willing to offer that grace to others. That's what happens when we've received grace. Grace. We should be the most gracious people around. So he prayed for them. And they were forgiven. But again, this is Job pointing to Jesus. Because this is just a foreshadow of the one true mediator. The only one who can truly bridge the gap between us and God. As Paul says to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator. Between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So Job was blessed with vindication. And he was called into that ministry of reconciliation, of mediation. But now he experienced an incredible restoration. But it wasn't a happy ever after. Firstly, there was a restoration in his finances. The Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. And if you remember from chapter 1, that's a huge amount. Before, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. But now he had double that. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Job went from incredible wealth to destiny. Desperate poverty, and then back again to an even credible more wealth. And the Lord was the one who was in charge and in control of all of that. But Job also experienced a restoration in fellowship. All of his brothers and sisters, and everyone who had known him before, came and ate with him in his house. If you remember, these are the people who had abandoned him when he needed them most. But again, Job doesn't hold grudges. Said as a man of grace, he welcomed them into his life again. He welcomed them into his, into his home again. And they blessed him with friendship and with comfort and with generosity. Verse 11 says they comforted and consoled him over all the trouble that the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. I think this shows us that Job didn't just automatically bounce back from the trauma that he just experienced. But through the help of his family and friends, he started to experience a measure of healing from that trauma. Then Job also experienced a kind of restoration in his family. Verse 13, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. In chapter 1, we learned previously he had seven sons and three daughters, but all of them were killed in a tragic disaster when the house that they were in fell upon them. But now John was blessed with another seven sons and three daughters. This was an incredible gift. And these daughters were were, eh, known as incredibly beautiful, and unusually, they were given an inheritance along with their brothers which was not the done thing in those days. Don't worry, Kerry. Things have changed since then. But I think starting to raise another ten kids can't really be described as a happy ever after, can can it? If you think that, then if you would have a, a talk with Job's wife, who certainly must have been a mature woman at that time, I'm sure she would have something else to say about it. But of course, none of this undid the loss that Job and his wife had gone through, did it? Ten more kids wouldn't undo the the tragedy of losing ten other kids. I know many people, even in our church, have experienced that. One child doesn't replace another. His first ten kids were still dead. And the pain of that would never leave Job and his wife. This was not a happy ever after. Well, not yet anyway. And I think God understood this. I'm sure you noticed this, didn't you? That Job gave double the livestock that he had before. But he only gave him another ten kids. As if he was just remembering, reminding Job that the ten lost, that they were, they were still his, and he was still waiting for the restoration of those relationships. That was something that was still left undone. But Job also did have a restored future. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Some people suggest this means that Job at that time was 70 years old and received twice as many years as he had had before. But whether that's not true or not, I don't know. But Job certainly was blessed with what was regarded as two times a normal human lifespan. Two times 70 years. He had the incredible joy of seeing his great-great-grandchildren But again, this was not happy ever after. Because did you notice how the book ends? And so he died. Old and full of years. Job was gifted a full and blessed life. But that life ended just like everybody else's life does. He still experienced the tragedy of death. But I think this helps us to to make sure that we learn the right lesson from all of this. All of this wealth and all of these gifts, they were not a bribe for Job to come back and trust in the Lord. Remember that's what Satan accused God of doing? Of blessing blessing Job just so he would worship him? Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan had said? But Job was restored into that right relationship with God right at the start of this chapter. When he was still bankrupt, when he was still bereaved, when he was still broken, when he repented in dust and ashes. So we shouldn't worship God if he blesses us. That should never be the way that we think. We should worship God because he always deserves it. He is always worthy of our worship. But neither was this prosperity a reward for Job's repentance. Job's friends were wrong when they said, when they preached a prosperity gospel that said that if you trust God enough, he'll make you healthy, wealthy and happy. Job was right when he said that the Lord gave and the Lord took away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God's plan for His people does involve sometimes incredible blessing, but it also includes incredible suffering. But rather I think that what we have here is a picture. A picture of God's ultimate rescue plan this is what James says in James chapter 5 in the New Testament you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord has finally brought about the Lord is full of compassion and mercy Job he persevered in faith even in incredible suffering and he finally he experienced the fullness of God's compassion and mercy And James encourages us that this will also happen to us if we hold on in faith. But the big question is when? When will this happen? When will we experience the fullness of everything that God has promised us? It will happen in God's timing? And when is that? Well, just before this verse in James chapter 5, verse 7, James says this. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. This is when we will experience our restoration. Not now as a happily ever after here on earth, but on Resurrection Day. When Jesus will come back for all of those who have trusted in him. On that day, we will share in his glory. The glory that Jesus experienced when he was raised on the third day and God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. Jesus, he had to go through suffering before the exaltation. And as followers of Jesus were called to follow in his footsteps. Suffering now, but knowing that one day he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old, old order of things has passed away. And so if we hold on to this unshakable hope, If we look at this picture of Job and say, that will happen one day in my life when Jesus comes back again, then it's not going to protect us from all of the pain and the suffering and the struggle in the world. It won't keep us back from times of difficulty or or, or agony. But what it will do is it will help us to persevere in those times of pain and suffering we'll be able to keep on going, keep on trusting in the Lord. Because we'll be able to say with Paul, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So the transformation in Job's life at the end was incredible. Not a happily ever after, but even more incredibly, it foreshadows that incredible day that lies ahead for all of us who have trusted in Jesus. Jesus. When we'll rejoice in the fullness of the vindication that we have in Christ. When we'll be be brought into the intimate presence of God through the mediation of Christ. When we'll experience the fullness of that restoration that we we have through the cross of Christ. And where we'll live with Him forever. Because we'll share in the resurrection
1: of Christ